Um, a few weeks ago, I went to West, the Westwood Centre with um, Sonia Schotter um, for a, a day's retreat, which we do every now and then. Um, and we have some time together praying. We pray for all of the people here, or not all of you all the time, but, but the church and individual people. And we also spend some time um, just with God individually. And I would recommend that to anyone, actually. Just spending time, just um, listening to God and listening with somebody else is is just great. Um, but when we were up there, people that know the Westwood Centre, it's just an amazing and, and beautiful spot. And as you look out the room that I was in, we had a room each, and the room I was in, you could just look out across the hills, uh, the Pennines, and it's just so, so beautiful. And when I was just... Um, by myself with God, I was looking out across this wonderful sweep of hills and beautiful um, valleys and, and the sky. And I could have just looked at that amazing sweep for, for all day, really. And that just just turns your heart to worship. But as I was just sitting quietly with God, he just asked me to concentrate in and to just look a little bit more closely. And as I was looking at this great landscape, I just spotted this little sheep. I don't know why, it made me laugh actually, but this little sheep in a field. And just looking at that, just homing in on a detail, led me then to, God just began to speak to me about him being the shepherd. And actually led me to read that psalm, Psalm 23. And I think sometimes when you hear, we hear preaching, sometimes there's a big, broad sweep being looked at. But sometimes I think we need to to get the big picture, but also maybe today just to say, God, what is the particular that you're speaking to me this morning? What is the particular, what's the little sheep in the field that you want me to notice? Um, I'm just going to start um, by reading, um, I probably won't read right down to the end, but if you turn with me to Romans 12... And my title is going to be Our Spiritual Act of Worship. I have something in front of me. The only NIV I could find was something called a men's devotional Bible. So whether this is extra spiritual, whether I should find some deep manly wisdom in it, who knows? So Romans 12. (laughs) Who was going to stop me, David? Um, we're never going to get to the end of this, are we? So I will read to you. Therefore, this is a sermon in itself, actually. Therefore, oh heck. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, brothers and sisters, to, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to to all the others. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And I will just finish this end bit. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've been looking at roots and foundations, and... I want you to use Romans 12 to look at worship and our spiritual act of worship because I believe strongly that a foundational thing for us is worship. Worship, there's a heart response expressed individually and as a church community to what we've been hearing about the God who created us. I was going to start, actually, this this introduction has changed a bit. I was going to start with with gratitude And Trevor, you were talking about being grateful. And so we're just grateful to the God who created us. The God that has a plan that centers on Jesus and includes us. We're grateful that God loves us and wants an intimate and personal relationship with us. Based on his grace and mercy. And not what we try to do to earn his favor. We're grateful that God puts us into a family to help us grow and be who we are meant to be. And we're grateful to the God who uses us as both builders in his kingdom and living stones in what is being built. I believe that the norm is that worship should flow from us. Um, Richard Rohr, who um, I read his devotions daily, um, said, We humans have a wonderful role in praising everything and praising God for everything. We are official praisers. I love that. We are official worshippers, but it's a heart response to God. Sometimes we need to stir our souls to worship, don't we? Sometimes we have to say, you know, heart, soul, why are you downcast? Um, Praise the Lord, my inmost being. Praise his holy name, it says in Psalm 103. So we have sometimes to stir ourselves up. But the norm is that we should be overflowing with worship. And we worship like we have this morning with songs and prayers. Worship is so much more, isn't it? Dance, art, poetry, all sorts of things that that we can do and offer to God. 
And all that we do reflects our culture. So our vision and our values are are reflected in what we do in our worship. I was just um, thrilled by by Marcus saying the other day, um, I think it was at the uh, church family meeting, that um, the band are actually writing so many more songs now and that he hopes that in the future that we'll have homegrown songs and they will reflect the uniqueness of our community here. And I think that's, that's very thrilling. But worship is more than our private times with God or what takes place on Sunday mornings. Worship is about our lives and has a practical outworking in church life, which is what we can see in Romans 12. So I just want to go through and pick up um, three things. And they're not new things. In fact, I did this and I looked somewhere online and I thought, good grief, there's my sermon already online, written by somebody else. But that's good. (laughs) So the first thing we do, we worship and honor God by yielding all of ourselves to him. So just get back into here. So he says in verses, verse 1, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So our spiritual worship means offering ourselves wholly to God as living sacrifices. In contrast to the Old Testament sacrifices, which were all about death, Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice for sin, for our sin, has meant our true worship is about light and life and fullness of life. So it's no longer about death. And we offer our lives back to the one who has, give, who has given us fullness of life through what he's done on the cross. We acknowledge that as Thomas said in John 20, Jesus is our Lord and he's our God. He is in control. I, I remember the first thing I found myself proclaiming when, um, when I was at college many years ago and with Julie Helm, who I was at college with. And um, we'd been prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'd just been filled with the Holy Spirit, and I, I wasn't absolutely sure what had happened, but I believed that God had done something. I went, we were in a college room, I went herring down the room, knocked on someone's door, threw open the door, and I do not know what I said to her, because a whole torrent of stuff came out, which I can't remember, but the one thing I remember is my mouth saying, he is Lord. And that proclamation of God as being in control of my life. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. We are the smell of life and not the smell of death. We offer ourselves as sacrifices, so there is a personal cost. And it does involve me putting the greater good and vision, sometimes and most often, before my own personal desires. I I love um, God, actually. Oh, well, I do love God, but... (laughs) Right, tick. Um, The one thing I did uh, once when I was away on this retreat and I was reading Psalm 23, um, I sort of rewrote it as a, you know, from my heart and as a worship. Uh, And one one thing I I wrote down, found myself writing down, was that um, God provides all our needs and also many of our desires. Not all my desires. God provides all my needs, but he's so gracious in going beyond to provide many of my desires, the desires of my heart. So I need to commit myself to the new life that God has given me. We give ourselves totally, body, mind, and spirit. 
And verse 1 calls us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We know that we're more than bodies, don't we? But when we become believers, we don't suddenly become disembodied. We don't have this sort of spirit that floats around um, in a sort of ethereal manner, really. We are more than a body. And I think in the, but in the past, the body has often been seen as inferior to the mind and the spirit. The, the body has been sort of put down. But I think nowadays, there's a, perhaps an emphasis the other way, that we have an overemphasis on body and body image. And we need to recognize that we shouldn't underplay the need to care for ourselves. We are temples. The 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says we are temples of the Holy Spirit. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. Together, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus took on a body in order to be like us. He suffered physically. He suffered in a body. And he is the head of his body, the church. We must care for and honor our bodies and the body and the body. We must honor and care for one another. But not overindulge ourselves. I think that the period of fasting, whatever you fasted from, um, whether you fasted from food um, or for social media, whatever things or television, whatever you fasted from, to me it was just such a helpful thing to bring myself back into control, I think. To say, um, I did go without, uh, I reduced my food intake quite a lot. And apart from the physical benefits, I didn't have wonderful, great visions, actually. We had great times of prayer, but I didn't have... Sometimes you think, oh, God's going to reveal great mysteries to me because I'm doing this, but he doesn't, necessarily. But it just made me realize that I needed... There are things that you need to take, and I needed to take back into control to honor my body. We have a lot of this, this fear. And the fear is a stronghold of the enemy. I think that's the major thing the enemy tries to do to us, is make us fearful. So we fear what people might say about us. We fear not being good enough. We fear being rejected. We fear getting old. So we constantly spend, or people spend loads of money on, you know, I don't know, well, these face creams and whatever you do. And just because we fear if we look old, people won't value us anymore. or People won't want us. A fear that basically no one will love me and that I'll be rejected. But Jesus wants us to get us to focus, or the enemy wants to focus on self. He wants to tie us up in our minds with crippling fear. But God wants to release us. Jesus wants to set us free. Um, Perfect fear casts out. Perfect love casts out. (laughs) Perfect love casts out all fear. Not the other way around. And the enemy also wants us to use up our time and distract us from what really matters in life. Life can be very busy, but I think we can also contribute to making our lives very busy. Um, I always say, well, I don't do Facebook because, or I don't have a smartphone um, because I don't want to end up looking at, but I have an iPad. And it's amazing when you just go on it and think, oh, I just have 10 minutes having a look at something. And a couple of hours later, you put it down. So our lives can be, we can make ourselves very busy. But Jesus wants us to die to self and thinking it's all about me and my comfort so that I can and we can truly find ourselves in him. And true worship comes from the inside out. It comes from the heart. Verse 2 talks about, in this chapter, having renewed minds. 
It comes from the heart and from having radically renewed thinking. It involves a mental revolution. We don't adopt the thinking of the world around us, but we adopt kingdom thinking. We get our thought life under control. You know, I can read this. I've written this all down. And on one level, it sounds, oh, that sounds really easy. Oh, we only need to do this, do this, and do this. But it is very hard to get our thought lives under control and think as God thinks. Because I think it was Mark Lawrence talking about how much is going on in there all day long. We're talking and talking and talking to ourselves. And sometimes, my boys, boys just say to me, because sometimes it overflows out of my mouth and it's all... And the boys just say to me, Mum, head thoughts. Don't transfer that from your head to your mouth. <laughs> but we need... But... If our thought lives are under control, what comes out of there will be great, won't it? So when we allow God to transform our thinking, there has to be an overflow. It has to flow out. Inward renewal must overflow and affect our everyday lives. We are called to be a transformed community, healthy in mind, body and spirit, and fully committed to Jesus in all that we do. We therefore honor one another and spur one another on. So as a body of people, we are committed to Jesus, and he is our primary focus in our worship together and our service to one another in the community. And our second point, we worship and honor God by realizing we are part of something greater than our individual selves. We come to know Jesus as individuals. Each one of us has to come to know Jesus as an individual. And Dan was talking about our personal relationship. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I can remember what the little phrase, I don't know if this still does the rounds, but even if there was no one else on earth, Jesus would have died for me. Which is true, but his plan wasn't just to have me. It wasn't just to have me or a lot of saved but disconnected individuals. That was never his plan. But he planned on having a body of people. A family in unity with one another, working together to build with him and to help lead others into his kingdom. I need to realize I'm a living stone. I'm a living stone. But one stone alone can't make a building. If a builder picks up a single stone, he can't make a house with it. He has to place the stone next to another single stone until the different stones become a building which takes on a whole new meaning and relevance because it's made up of different stones built in harmony with one another. Beautiful individual stones, which is each one of us, we're beautiful individual stones, but rightly built together will make a wonderful building fit for purpose, fit for God to inhabit. And just to go inside the house, God gave me a picture um, one day of a wonderful, beautiful chandelier, you know, this wonderful crystal chandeliers shining out brightly. And, and he said to me that individual crystals may be beautiful in their own right, but when we put them together in a beautiful chandelier and the light shines, they're truly amazing. And the light that comes out from it shines for everyone to see and attracts everyone to its beauty. We're a family, and to play my part, I need to have a realistic evaluation of myself within the family. So it's talking about... Not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to, but thinking of ourselves with sober judgment. That doesn't mean spending time doing ourselves down. Because I think we're very good at looking inwardly. And generally, generally, it doesn't come out positively. We're very good at talking that 
the I'm not so good at that. I'm no, I'm, you know, someone's better than me at this. All the stuff we talk to ourselves. So we don't go inwardly just to focus on the self, actually. Just keeping going inwardly becomes focusing on self again, doesn't it? And not looking at things in a wider view. But we need to focus on knowing who we are in Christ so that we can walk with dignity and confidence. But we just need to understand that it isn't all about me. We view ourselves through the God's eyes, which are always loving and always compassionate. He never asked to, us to evaluate ourselves to condemn us. I think it's important to evaluate where we stand, isn't it? We are called not to be proud, but we're called to walk in genuine humility with God, which is something that helps win people to Christ. So I need to take stock of myself, and I need to take stock of how I'm using my gifting as well. Because um, Paul lists different gifts here, and I'm just so thrilled when I read these, because it's not just all about prophecy or leadership. It's about encouraging. It's about giving generously. It's about showing kindness and showing mercy. They're just all wonderful gifts. And the gift that I have will be different from the gifts that other people have. We can't possibly have everybody having the same gift because it would be absolutely no use for building the body up. Uh, But I need to make sure that I'm using what God has given me for the common good. I need to look at what I'm doing at any particular time. Often I just come before God and say, I sort of draw it sometimes, a little table, and I, I might have said this before, and I put the things on it that I'm doing. Not just things in the church, outside the church. And I say, right, God, what needs to stay on the table? What needs to come off the table? What has maybe played out its season? It's not necessarily that it's a wrong thing, but what has come to an end and what can I look to, to replace it with? Um, so I need to take stock of where I'm at and how I'm using my giftings. God uses diverse people to do his will. Sarah reminded us when she was preaching that we are called to be individuals and not puppets. But also God wants us to use the individual us to benefit and enhance the whole. We shouldn't be jealous or envy other people in what they do, but support and encourage for the mutual benefit. We're really good at comparing others unfavorably with ourselves sometimes when we're not comparing ourselves unfavorably with others. We tend to do one or the other. Um, and I find that often part of my evaluation, it's not where I, of myself, it's not where I say to God, right, I'm going to sit down in front of you and I want you to tell me all the things that I'm not getting right. It doesn't happen like that. Often it happens when I suddenly feel an emotion towards somebody. Maybe somebody's honoured in something. Someone is given a position in something. And a bit of me inside is jealousy. It suddenly comes up with envy, I'm being very honest, envy and jealousy, and I don't know where it's come from. And then I have to, I think that's how God says, "Mm, now let's just go back and have a look. Ask me where this has come from. Identify. Sometimes it is things from the past. And, And actually that sort of thing, God has told me that it's things that I've held on to from the past where I felt that I was overlooked that nobody saw me, that other people were always given things to do. And I never was. I'm not talking about in the church, actually. I'm talking about outside. So Charles is laughing at me. Outside the church. But it can happen in the church as well. Um, And we need to identify those feelings and, and deal with those things. 
We need to deal with the past so that the hurts don't resurface in the present and so we can move on in a healthy way that enables us to accept and to honour other people. We need to practice using our gifts as well. Um, they increase through use. Our gifts and get increase through using them. It's easier to be hospitable if we are hospitable on a regular basis. And then I would encourage us, we really want, we should want to meet together so we can benefit from one another's gifting. We learn together and we just need one another. And then my last point, we worship and honour the one who loves us by loving one another. Sincere love, see Paul Paul is saying in verse 9, love must be sincere. That can only come from within. We love because he first loved us, it says in 1 John 4. I think you've just mentioned that one. We can find our capacity to love and to feel compassion is affected by our experiences of human love, which can disappoint us. Often we hold on to things that happened to us in the past and allow them to shape us. If we've been hurt, we built our defenses to stop being hurt again. We might find it hard to express love in the natural because we never experienced love or have been hurt by people who were supposed to love and protect us and who we trusted. But we can't live in that sort of past. It destroys us and stops us making true connections with one another. And I think everything boils down to this. Fear, living in the past with hurts, the enemy would love to stop us connecting with one another, would stop us being part of the body. And we often need to go back to do some forgiving. We might need help to do that. We can do things in hubs, can't we? And um, in the, the, um, what's the course called that Jenny's just spoken about? Yes, emotionally healthy, spirituality. um, Those sort of courses are there to help us. And we allow God's deep wells of love and compassion to flow in and out through us. We must do that. We must allow those wells of love and compassion to flow through us. We need to dig deep wells. We need to dig down deep. Um, at the moment, outside our house, there's some water has appeared, which is running across the road. And the water board said it's not a leak. But water is coming from somewhere. Water will always find a way to come to the surface. And God springs. If we're rooting ourselves deeply and drawing from him, his springs will always spring up out of us and will always spring up in compassion. We need to ask God to increase our compassion and love. Often we make judges, I mem- uh, judgments based on first impressions. And I remember Trevor, I'm looking at Trevor Shutter because I remember him preaching about how we look at situations often through our own lenses and our own judgments. And often when we meet someone, we try to assess how, they'll, how they're going to impact upon me. What do I think about this person? But our, and our first thoughts are very often not those of compassion, actually. They're very often judgments we cannot make judgments on that basis we need to make room for listening to one another and hearing one another's stories i will just tell you that i'm conscious of time but i will just tell you this um there's a lady that in jubilee friends on a saturday a lady who comes who's very disabled um it would be easy to look at her and, and think, and she, because she's older, and I'm afraid it does happen in society, we look at older people and we write people off. We look at them and think, I wonder what this person has got to offer. They're old, they're disabled. Um, and yet, a couple of, uh, last month, we were painting onto mugs 
he had mugs and we were just painting with paints onto these mugs. And this lady had done a most beautiful mug. It was really lovely. And I said, that's a beautiful mug that you've done there. You're painting on there. It's beautiful. And she said, oh yeah, I used to, I used to, um, teach art. And then you think, you, that instantly makes you want to pursue that further and say to them, tell me more about that. There's more to somebody. There's stories deep down. And those sort of stories then move you to compassion for people and, and just open wells up inside of you that can spring up. We need to see with God's eyes, which are always eyes of compassion. And one thing that Richard Raw talks about, which I think is very good, he said, we're very good at making, at making lists of people who've hurt us. I don't mean literally, we write it down, but we have a little list in our minds of, I've been hurt by this person, I've been hurt by that person, so I'm blowed if I'm going to go and make it up with them, they should come and make things up with me, or I'm just going to cut them off from my life. I'm not going to bother with them, but he said, how about considering the people that we've hurt, or the people we may have hurt, so that we're more humble and forgiving and less judgmental. And I believe that love is infectious and it wins people's hearts. It's not just being in a community that changes us, but being loved and accepted in that community. And this is a quote. It doesn't matter about the context, but this is something I heard on Radio 4 and I jotted it down. I had to keep going back and listening to it again. It said, said, simply being positioned, simply being positioned in the center of a community life doesn't necessarily make you feel as if you are part of it. Becoming part of a non-biological family happens because of kindness and love. So it's not just being here. Being part of that non-biological family happens because of kindness and love. And we are a family. We're a body, but we're a family. And we throw our lot in with one another, don't we? And at one time, I have to be honest, at one time I used to go away down south on holiday and I used to think, you know, I'm, I'm not really bothered about coming, coming back particularly. I'm not, being honest, I'm, I'm really not perhaps missing the church so much. But now I just feel, I love this church. And my father said to me a couple of weeks ago, do you think, do you think you'll ever, will you move back down here? He lives in Dorset. Will you move? Do you think you'll move back down? Apart from the fact I've been here about 38 years. Um, I said, no. And I didn't say this to him, but the primary reason is because of you and because of this church that we're building here. So we offer our spiritual worship by yielding all of ourselves to the Father, by playing the part only we can play in the body whilst walking humbly with God and honoring one another, and by clothing all we do in genuine love. As it says in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Amen.